The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. When I got my Keurig Brewer, I loved it so much I decided to name it. The right name had to fit my many sides, from the bold dark roast side to the soft herbal tea side. I landed on Freddy. Yeah, Freddy. It works for me. Who doesn't love their Keurig Brewer? It can brew the perfect cup of coffee, tea, and hot cocoa with just the touch of a button. All without a fuss and so little mess or cleanup. With over 250 varieties to choose from, it's no wonder people actually name their Keurig Brewers. Visit Keurig.com for more info. about to inspire you with the stories of real people. Welcome to A Current Life with your host, Jimmy Gould. In the next hour, you will meet one of the most interesting and successful people in the world. Listen as Jimmy gets their real story of success, both the highs and the lows. We hope that you take with you some of the ideas we will share today and embrace your own journey. Now, here's Jimmy. Welcome to another edition of A Current Life. I'm your host, Jimmy Gould. And I'm very excited and honored to introduce to you my very special guest and dear friend, Terry Glenn. Terry, welcome to A Current Life. Hey, thank you, Jimmy. How you doing? I'm doing fine. I'm really happy to have you as a guest on my show. Uh, for our listeners, that extends over 180 countries. I've wanted Terry to be on the show for a long time. And for our fans who uh, and, and people listening, let me give you a proper introduction. Terry Glenn is a former All-Pro NFL wide receiver for the New England Patriots. Green Bay Packers, and Dallas Cowboys, and achieved more than 8,000 total yards on the field. Recognized as an All-American, Terry played college football for The Ohio State University and won the Fred Belitnikoff Award as the nation's top receiver. Terry Glenn will share his untold story of his extraordinary career and how he overcame adversity. Terry, this show is about life's journey and the ups and the downs that each of us experienced and overcome to get where each of us is really meant to be. So on that note... I'd like to start with your early years and just ask you about your childhood. Where did you grow up and kind of what your dreams and aspirations were as a child? Well, I grew up in Columbus, Ohio. That's where the Ohio State University is located. Um, as far as my dreams and aspirations, I really didn't have too many. I was more or less living like in the moment, day to day. I had a lot of family issues, so it didn't really allow me to see too far in the future because I was trying to figure out where my next meal was, where was I laying my head, what was going to happen at school, and things like that. So I was living really into the moment. Well, I understand that. I, I uh, you know, again, for our listeners, uh, uh, not only are Terry and I dear friends, but um, I, uh, it's been an honor and a privilege to represent him in his entire career, which I did, and, and still in his after football years, and having a kind of relationship. And I think uh, Terry and I share a lot of things in common in terms of what we went through and losing our mother and, and mothers and, and, and just how that affects you. What do you really think was probably not just the toughest moment you experienced in your early years, but 
kind of what it did to you and, and, and kind of, you know, how it's affected you in your life. Well, like you said, I know you lost your mother, and we talked about that. And I think that was one of the things that really brought our relationship to where it is now. Um, you're a hard worker, you're a fighter, and that's kind of like what I picture myself as, and I mock myself after you just off base what you said. But I think that time in my life, being a child, you know, I was only 13 years old, and then to find that your mother's murdered, you know, I didn't know my father, and then to wake up one day and your mom is gone. And um, my grandma really raised me on my, in my early years. But my mom, you know, she was going through her problems. I think now when I think back on it, she was probably still trying to live her life because she was still young, so she didn't really know what she was getting herself into by having me and then my little sister, which is seven years younger than me. But I think that um, having that happen into my life, it really set a standard where I had to grip my teeth and say, hey, basically there's nobody here that cares about you. You got to go out there and make a life for yourself. And that's when the whole seeing football as a way of making a living for myself and my little sister. You know, I, I you know we have talked about this a lot, um, and it is what I think drew us together in the first place, and has really been a bond for us. Because you know, when I woke up, you know, on Christmas morning, it was really Christmas Eve that my mom died. I was barely six years old, and and I didn't understand anything that was going on, and really didn't really understand much of anything as to what happened. And I kind of felt like. I had to take my life into my own hands and learn to survive, and I think I've been surviving ever since, and I know we've shared this with one another. A lot of people don't understand it when you go through, and all of us have gone through difficult moments in your life, but different things affect us, affect us in different ways. I think both you and I probably suffered from abandonment because of that, and, and, and certainly in your case because of the tra- tragedy around it waiting for your mom to come home and things. It really causes you to, I think, and, and I speak for me as well, to lack trust. And, and you have to really force somebody to earn your trust because, you, you know, you, your trust is so important when you're young because that's really what you depend upon to get you through the day on the people that are raising you. And I think that's what the hardest thing for me was, was to learn how to overcome that feeling that everybody was going to leave me and that feeling that, Things were just, I could never trust anybody. And, and I know you and I even experienced that with one another until we really realized how much love there was between us and how we cared about one another, and that was more important than football or anything else. And you're absolutely right, Jimmy, and I think that's why we pour so much into our kids because we know that they're not going anywhere. They're going to love us unconditionally. We're going to love them unconditionally, and that's probably why I guess the relationship thing Never, not, I don't say never, but it, it, it's a little harder for someone like us that really don't trust too many people. And we, we almost don't give people the benefit of doubt unless they prove it to us that right. it's worthy of having a relationship with you. And I think they, those are the things that throughout my life is where I've had some of the controversial issues that I've had because, as you know, like you just said, that trust factor. And you don't trust right. nobody and you always feel like, They'll leave you at the drop of a hat. You know, it's, it's almost like there's a different voice, and the voice pops in your head, and it says, you know, you can't trust that, or maybe I don't deserve that. Or, you know, because I always felt when we talked, I always felt, I mean, you were such an exceptional athlete. I mean, just the other night, 
a bunch of us watched the film that we made of you in college. And um, after college, when you were going into the draft, uh, you were you were taken in the first round, number seven overall in the draft by the New England Patriots. And, you know, as I think back on how just at an early age, I mean, you were a walk-on, and we'll talk a lot about that later on, but I, I remember watching a scene where you would catch the ball, and there were a bunch of people in the room watching the, the, the videotape that, you know, you and I made as a highlight reel, and you always used the sidelines with both feet. And they said to me, well, you don't have to use both feet in bounds. I said, but Terry was a perfectionist. You know, he... He wasn't going to, it didn't matter whether they did it in college. He knew he was going to eventually do it in the pros. And so they were just amazed when they watched those toes go down inside. And I think the thing that has struck me about you is that I don't believe you ever, and I don't think the press ever understood this about you or anything. It was never about the money. It was about the, the you knew that the reward would be there if you did, if you excelled and you did the right thing. I think it was really more about the fact that you just had a tremendous love of playing the game. And when you no longer felt it was the love of the game, it didn't work for you anymore. And that's at least what I took away. It doesn't mean that you didn't get money. It doesn't mean that we didn't fight over the money when it was taken away. But it was really the fact that you really had a purity about you of walking on the field, catching the football, and you were, I mean, you were an absolute Almost like I, I uh, almost like an artist, the way you worked that field. And when we watched this film, I have to tell you, in my opinion, and not because I represented you, just in my opinion, I think you're one of the greatest receivers that ever played the game of football. Jimmy, that means a lot to me, man. That um, just saying that and hearing that come out of your voice, or out of your mouth, that really means a lot to me. I know we had a history together. Um, I left it on the field. I will give you everything that I got. That was, I think, one of my reasons why I was able to come back from so many injuries because my mind was still there. It always has been there. It was in my heart is what really kept me on that football field. And I see players today, they get hurt, and, you know, they walking around. They don't know what to do. They don't know if they want to play. It's different little things. But like you said, money was never the option, although – we all knew it was going to be there because you get paid for playing professional football. But I played with my heart, and I left it all out there on the field. And I tend to think that I had some pretty nice quick feet, and I should dance around a little bit out there with the sideline and toe taps. And I'm not trying to toot my own horn, Jimmy, and I thank you for saying that for, to me. And I feel the same way. Well, I, I, I thank can, you. I, you're welcome. And I um... – I, you know, I, I've represented 110 players in the National Football League, and I've always said to everybody, and I've represented some great wide receivers, but you were, you were truly an artist, and, and, and you left it all out there. And you were unapproachable before a game. You were somewhat unapproachable after a game because your passion was so great. It's the thing about you that I've noticed, and I've noticed it in people that have had tragedies in their life and had things happen to them. And I don't think a lot of us around, and certainly not the media, because maybe we don't handle the media the way they want to be handled. I mean, I tried very hard because I know they have a job, and we'll talk about that later on, about kind of what the pro career is like and, you know, what the distractions are. But I'm, I want to go back to your childhood for a minute. And did you feel that you had a lot of support from your friends and family? And, you know, I represented your kind of your stepbrother, June Henley, and I know that that family took you in. 
Can you tell the audience kind of like what that was like and how that came about? You know, Jimmy, I, I love their family a lot, and I respect them for all they've done for me, and they will always have a special place in my heart. I just don't think they were ready for me at the time. They had their own children, their own son, and I was more of like the, the and this is, and I'm going to say this, this is how I kind of put it in my words. I was a redhead stepchild, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I had to watch what I did around the house. Um, of course, their kids are their blood kids, and they love them, obviously love them probably more than they loved me. But they, they, by them just taking me in, I love them to death, and I will always love them. But it was a, it was a little tough situation for me because, like I said, I was the redhead stepchild. Um, I got treated a little bit different, but I will always say this to myself, like I always do when I look in the mirror, I go, hey, at least they gave me an opportunity. They gave me a chance. They took me in their home. I wasn't on the streets. Would I have liked to got treated better or um, things happened for me like they did for their kids? Sure. Sure, I would have loved that. But I think just by them opening up their house to me, I think was a great thing to do, and I'll never forget them for that. No, I, I appreciate that, and I obviously know them, and I know that, you know, your life uh, uh, obviously was probably, it was never going to be the same after your mom uh, was murdered, and just like when my mom died from brain cancer, it was never going to be the same. No matter how many different people tried different things, there was a loss that goes deep, and I'm sure everybody that listens to this show throughout the world has suffered different types of things. We live in a very crazy world today with a lot of tragedy and a lot of things that are kind of feeling like the world's inside out. But I do think, and what I'm curious about is, that if you could look back on that event when you were 13, how did your perspective in life change after that, after the loss of your mother? Is there one characteristic or behavior or something that happened other than losing trust, obviously, like happened with me when I was six. Was there one particular thing that maybe caused you to do something different? Did football come into your life? Did something, what happened exactly how you started to learn how to deal with it? Or did you not deal with it until later on? I didn't deal with it until later on. And to be honest with you, I think I'm still dealing with it. I'm 39 years old. I think it it never go away, and I got my own children, and I see their faces, and there are times where I don't know where my next movement is going. Like I, um, I don't think, and, and when I say this, I see people that commit suicide, do things like that. Like, what are they thinking about, and how are they able to do certain things like that? There's things that still happen to me that where I'm in a dark place, yeah. but I know that I could never go such a route because I have my beautiful kids. And when I lost my mother, I know how I felt. I felt abandoned. I was lost. Uh, I felt like I wasn't attached to anything. I was just a person here on earth just, just walking around. And being that young, that was hard for me. But I would never use, like, suicide or anything like that as an option um, because I do have beautiful children and – I could always just try to figure out what would they do without me. They know how much I love them. I'm an unconditional type lover. I love my family, my kids, and I'll do anything for them. And I take the selfishness out of that equation, and I say, hey, 
my kids need me. They love me. They want me to be here for them. So it was hard. When I lost her, I felt like I was the only person here on earth, basically just walking around, abandoned. And those are the type of things that I still struggle with throughout this, these days. But I think my children have reestablished a little part of my life, and I want to live for them, and that's what I do. I live for them. Well, I, I will tell you I'm incredibly proud of you just that you're doing this show and the way we're talking about it because there was a time in your life when we were involved in, in football in particular that you maybe would not have been able to share this way or face these things. Uh, you've matured unbelievably. You've always been an incredibly bright individual. You look at the world in a very special way. I do think we look at it the same in certain ways. We want, you know, we want things to be right between people. We don't like chaos. We don't like people who we can't trust. I'm curious, what got you to finally trust me uh, as you look at back on your life? And was there something between us other than losing our mothers? Was there something that finally had a light go off in you? Because... Obviously, we come from different backgrounds, and, and we're different ages, but I can tell that through all this, we gained, we grew closer, and it's made a big difference to both of us. I think uh, with our history and our background, I think the, the big thing that we are able to look at is longevity. And if somebody's still there, after all the stuff me and you went through, we didn't have our ups and downs, we didn't have our little feuds on the phone and things like that, but you're still there. And I called you the other day, and, and man, you talked, and you did something for me that proved to me that you have always been there for me. Not, not that saying that that was going to be the defining moment, but you showed me that you were always there. And, you, and I can remember you in my ear telling me different little things about what I need to do, what I should do. And, sure, I was trying to be a kid, trying to learn how to live on my own. So I know sometimes I didn't take your advice. And I look back on it, and I go, man, I should have listened to Jimmy. And so it's moments like that and the fact that you're still around. We've been together for since, what, 95, 96? 95, yeah. And... You're still there. You still welcome me to your home. Uh, you'll do anything for me. I feel that, and I love you, man. And that's what it is. And that's it's longevity. You've been there, and that's what it is. You, you want people that will show they'll still be there. Although, let's say you hurt somebody's feelings, or you 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 let's say you you know you say bad things to them, or something like that. And if they quit and leave and turn their back. And you realize that, no, maybe they shouldn't have been in the first place. But if they still stick around, I think that that really tells you. And that's how I prove to myself that I can count on this person, I trust this person, and I love this person. And that's, that's based off my history. That's what I base it off of. Well, I, I, first of all, I appreciate that. I agree with you completely. I, I, I always whispered in your ear that no matter whether you were playing football or not, I would always be there. And you saw me that way with Corey Stringer, with everything that happened with his family. And I fought through to build an institute in his honor. And 
you know, I always told him that there, there, on, there, you know, on one hand is probably the people that that grew as special with me, and and it changed my life when his life was taken, and it it affected me greatly when you hit certain places of real darkness. But I was always there because I believed in you, and I loved you, and I cared about what happened to you, even if you weren't seeing that at the time. And by the way. I didn't listen to people when I was growing up either. It took me a long time uh, to find my sobriety. It took me a long time to, to get to a place in my own life where I was able to trust my heart, and I'm still learning. And your answer is so incredibly profound when you say I'm still working on it. To me, that's the ultimate test of truth is when one can still look in the mirror and say, I'm not there, I may never be there. Right. I don't believe that I will ever be there. I believe that it's a work in progress every day. I say it's progress, not perfection. And I believe for two people who are probably drawn to perfection, like you and I are, and we're very demanding people, and we're demanding of ourselves, and we're demanding of other people, you know, we will tend to get let down a lot. But I think the fact that you recognize that, and I recognize that, is the number one step in my opinion, of, of coming to grips with it. And I applaud you for that because I know it hasn't been easy. I, I want to ask you, as, as you look back on your life, you know, did you have a hero or heroes you know, in your life, somebody that you, you just kind of looked at and said, wow, I'd like to have a life like them or something like that? Was there a sense of thing? No, uh, I really can't say there was. My grandmother and my grandfather... They really were in my life because my mother was in and out of incarceration. So my grandmother kind of took me under her wing, and it seemed like nobody understood me in the family but her. And when she passed, you know, that was like, that was basically like my mom passing the first time. And then my mom was able to get me back with, the you know, custody and things like that. And I lived with her, and then she died shortly after that. So then I basically had like two moms that died. And I would say my grandmother, she worked her tail off. She would cook, clean. I mean, she would provide for me. She would try to make sure everything was good in my life that that I could. You know, when I was trying out for football, she tried to, you know, get me a mouthpiece and things like that, try to pay for my little equipment and stuff like that with what she had. So if anybody I would say, I would say my grandmother was a, a big inspiration to me in my life and, how I looked at her and how she took care of just her grandchildren and cook clean and do this every day. She did it every day. And it was not like I didn't know what eating out was or McDonald's was that much back when I was little because we had food, whether it was just uh, beans and hot dogs cut up in the beans or something. It was That's what we ate, and she made sure we ate it too. So you weren't getting up from the table unless you ate your food. So I would say my grandmother was probably my hero. She was my hero. Right. The the um, was there a lesson that she taught you, or one that would stands out that that she would, or a quote, or something that she would say to you that that helped you focus on? I, you know, I had a similar. Uh, uh, I didn't. I didn't necessarily have one person, but there were people throughout my life that would kind of mentor me and do things like that, and. I think that because I was young when it happened and you were a little bit older, I think in some respects when you're younger you don't really know what's going on, so you don't feel it the same way until maybe it just affects you your whole life. When you're 13, 14, 15, 
I mean, it's really right there in your face, and you're going to school, and people are, you know, I mean, it, it's more public. Um, right you know, so I do think there's a difference in that regard. But what, was there something that advice or quote or something that stands out if you think about it, a favorite story maybe that she shared with you or that somebody shared with you when you were young that, that has affected she, she, you? She wouldn't, she didn't believe in quitting. And once I started something, it was, you know, you're going to finish this to the end, whether it was band or something that I did. I used to play an instrument, and I was like, oh, no, this is not cool. I don't want to do this. <laughs> but you're not going to quit because you started doing this, and these people are dependent on you to be in this little orchestra band that we had, you know, at school. So that, playing football, you know, I remember I got, you know, I got hit pretty hard one time. And I was like, this is when I first started, and I was real little, you know, I was young. And I was like, uh-uh, I can't, I'm not doing this. And she took me back to the practice field and was like, you're not quitting. You started this. You had me sign you up for this. You're going to finish this. Now, you ain't got to play next year, but you're going to finish this year. So I think things like that. Like I remember one time I was little and um, I got into like a fight with the kids across the street. So I takes off running. I runs up in the house. You know, I'm, you know, I'm like scared. I'm like, oh, no, I can't, I can't fight these kids. So I runs up in the house. Guess who brings me back outside? Your grandma. <laughs> My grandma. She said, uh-uh, boy, uh-uh, you're going back outside. You're going to fight them. And I was like, oh, my God. Uh, she's making me do this. And sure enough. Well, you know, you know what's funny? I mean, while you were talking, I was thinking about something. And one of the great lessons you taught me, you may not even realize this, was a lesson I taught Lucas and Dylan who you're very close to, and you they grew up around you. Those are my boys, and mm-hmm. and there's uh, they. Dylan quit football, and Lucas quit football, and Lucas is now a six foot eight basketball player, and right. you know came home one day and he said that he wanted to stop playing basketball. This was a number of years ago, and I said, mm-hmm. well, you're in the middle of the season. He said, I don't care. I think if I just take off now, things will be better. And I remembered that you told me the story what your grandmother told you, and I related to him. If you want to quit, you can quit next year, but you're going to finish this year. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget that because I looked him in the eye and he said, well, you're a football agent. I mean, you actually don't care if I like, quit football or maybe it was Dylan that I said that to. And I said, it does not my life. It's your life. You want to quit football, quit, but you'd finish what you start. Right. And, and you taught me that. You taught me that. Your grandmother taught me that through you. And I'll never forget that because you know what? It really makes a difference that you finish what you start. And you're one of the best at that. And a lot of people maybe don't realize that about you. You don't get 8,000 yards playing National Football League without really having not only talent, but serious passion and commitment. Because when you're a football player like you were catching balls that were overthrown and catching difficult passes, you're going to get hit and you're going to get hit hard and you're going to get hit multiple times by multiple people. I mean, oh, yeah. I used to sit there and just cringe when I saw you get hit. I mean, I didn't miss one <laughs> oh, catch thanks. you had. I mean, wow. <laughs> I'll never forget the one throw that was thrown. I think it was either in Dallas or New England, and I called you after the game and said, 
I may have to pay a visit to either Bledsoe or whoever it was, Tony, <laughs> or one of the guys. They don't, they can't throw you the ball like that over the middle. Yeah, I do. I kind of vividly remember that, too. <laughs> oh, God. You made that catch. I said, Terry, don't go catch that ball next time. <laughs> well, you know what I'm going to do? We're going to take a, a short break. Uh, we've got Terry Glenn as our special guest, my dear friend, uh, the great football player, over 8,000 yards in the National Football League, and terrific father, and... Um, you're listening to uh, Current Life. I'm Jimmy Gould, your host. The show is brought to you by Green Mountain Coffee Roasters, Pure Romance, and Outspace Ball Network. Please stay tuned. We'll be back with Terry in a minute. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. When I got my Keurig Brewer, I loved it so much I decided to name it. The right name had to fit my many sides, from the bold dark roast side to the soft herbal tea side. I landed on Freddy. Yeah, Freddy. It works for me. Who doesn't love their Keurig Brewer? It can brew the perfect cup of coffee, tea, and hot cocoa with just the touch of a button. All without a fuss and so little mess or cleanup. With over 250 varieties to choose from, it's no wonder people actually name their Keurig Brewers. Visit Keurig.com for more info. The stove, the refrigerator, all the pots and pans. The sink? Sure, take the kitchen sink too. Yeah, pretty much everything in the kitchen I could live without if I had to. Except, of course, my Keurig Brewer. Who doesn't love their Keurig Brewer? It can brew the perfect cup of coffee, tea, and hot cocoa with just the touch of a button. All without a fuss and so little mess or cleanup. With over 250 varieties to choose from, it's no wonder your Keurig Brewer is the favorite thing in your kitchen. Visit Keurig.com for more info. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to A Current Life with Jimmy Gould. If you have a question or comment for Jimmy or his guest today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd like to send an email, the address is acurrentlife at yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to A Current Life. This is Jimmy Gould with my very special guest and dear friend, Terry Glenn. Uh, Terry, you know, before getting in, into... Um, uh, you know, very specifics about the football. I really want to ask a couple of questions, uh, and that is that did you ever dream when you were younger that you would be a professional football player, an elite football player uh, when you were younger? Well, I had thoughts and aspirations, but as far as it really come into fruition, no. I never saw myself out there. What I did see myself doing, and I do remember this when I was younger, is I wanted to play for, you know, the Ohio State University because I would see that on TV a lot. Uh, I know everybody loved the Ohio State. It was like the big thing with um, Buckeye football in Columbus, Ohio. So I, I really wanted to play for the Buckeyes, but I didn't see it no further than that. So did, you, did people around you realize the incredible, um, just incredible, you know, hand-eye coordination you had in the, 
the steady hands and the long fingers and the fact that you could catch anything and you were quick and you were fast and you were agile and you you really were I mean you were as close to a I mean I've said this to you ballet dancers I've ever seen on a football field I mean you could walk the sidelines on your toes like I've never seen I mean you were an amazing wide receiver and that year that you won the Belichick award you had 17 touchdowns I mean I remember watching that and and we didn't know each other but the fact is I just said wow this is this is going to be one heck of a professional athlete and you know, uh, did did people tell you that? When was it that you realized you were, how gifted you really were with this incredible talent? I think, Jimmy, that's probably why I don't have a whole lot of friends now. Because at that moment in my career, when you when you say in that year, I think that was like '96 or '95, something like that. Right. Um, no one knew, including me. But. I knew there was something there. Uh, you know, I always knew I was fast as a child. I was faster than everybody else. Like when the bell would ring and he was all out in, the, in, the, in the, the field yard, you know, on the swings and stuff, or when we played football, I would play with older kids and nobody could catch me. I was just basically, oh, I want Terry on my team. So I'd get the ball and I'd just outrun everybody. So I knew I was fast. But as far as, like, the hand-eye coordination and being able to – achieve what I did, no one knew. And like I said, including myself. It just happened. And and I remember my junior year after that happened, you know, there was a thing called giving up your eligibility to go to the pros. And I had a tough time doing that. And for the simple fact that that abandonment started all over again. Because mm-hmm. I was in college and I was, I was um, like a, I had people around me. They was helping me. They were. They wanted me to be on the Ohio State football team. They knew I had something. So it was like a little family to me because that's what I kind of wanted. So then once I figured I had to give up my eligibility and go to the pros after my junior season, that was hard. But now all of a sudden, now I'm back. I feel like I was abandoned again. Now I'm out in this real world where people don't care. I mean, all of a sudden, now you're about to give me all this money, and now I'm out here, and it felt like I was alone. So that was a very, very tough decision for me. But it was all because all that happened in one year. So I didn't get a chance to have all the people, whether they were real or fake, come out of the woodwork and kind of help me prepare for this situation because no one knew. You know, I don't think a lot of people really realize, one, you walked on to the, the Ohio State University football team with no scholarship. I mean, <laughs> you, you, you played in a particular game when I think Joey Galloway was out. I remember the story with Bobby Greer told me at the time, and he was up in the stands watching, and he made up his mind, if he had a chance, that you were going to be his choice to, for the draft if you ever – you know, if we ever got to that, if you ever got to that place. One, one great story I got about Barbie Greer was, and I and I love him to this day because he told me this, and he came out right out and told me. I remember I had my pro day, mm-hmm. and it didn't go like I wanted it to go. Right. And I think because of that, maybe I slipped a little bit in the draft. Although I went number seven, I mean, had I blew it out the water. You know, we was looking, you know, looking at Carolina or somebody, number two, or I think the Dolphins had number six. Right. We was looking at one of those teams because basically 
my talent was the best one on the board as far as next in line. And Bobby looked at me and he said, Terry, I am glad you ran that 40 you just ran. <laughs> he, he, said, he said, that way I, I think we can get you. <laughs> and well, he you, knew, you may remember it was a bad day for me, but he already knew what I had. And, and it was just so shocking to hear somebody say that. Like, I'm glad you did that. Like, do, you, wow. do you remember the phone call I placed to you at 6 a.m. in the morning? Because I, I got tipped off at about 4 o'clock. probably shouldn't say this across the globe, but at 4 o'clock in the morning by Chris Mortensen, who said, Terry Glenn's going to go number seven with the New England Patriots. I just thought you ought to know that. And I just yeah. had drinks with Bob Kraft. And I Remember, said, I couldn't hmm. believe it. Remember, I was like, and what? I, I know. Well, I called you, and you said, I don't believe it, and I don't want to talk about it. I said, I'm <laughs> telling you, you're going number seven. Because, you know, yep. and then you didn't even come from – you and I weren't even together at the draft. I mean, basically, no, you didn't want to go to New York. You were in clubbers with your friends. Didn't trust it. Nope. Didn't trust it. And that didn't trust along it. And, and I felt – Terrible about calling you and telling you because what if he was wrong? You know, in other words, I mean, maybe, I'm not going you know, to New York because I don't want nobody to be wrong. I don't be sitting there with the camera on me talking about where well, I'm thinking I'm supposed to be top ten, and I go like fifteen, twenty, or I was just happy to even be able to get drafted. So number seven, I mean, that was a total shock. I was so happy. Uh, I got a big story about that. I remember I was in my bedroom at my apartment in Columbus. By myself, I didn't right. want nobody around me because I, I wasn't sure what was going to happen. Right. And I just remember hearing one, two, three, four, five, six. I could hear the TV on downstairs, but I didn't want to look at it. So I'm sitting there listening. And I'm listening, and then they go. I remember. Um, I forget who was. I think it was Tagliabu or whoever. Yeah, Tagliabu got up and he said, uh, "With the seventh pick, the New England Patriots select." Ohio, man, all I heard was Ohio, and I just jumped. I hit my head on the ceiling. <laughs> I ran down the steps. I think I missed every single step. <laughs> I got down to the TV, and I'm sitting there looking. I'm in tears. I'm like, oh, my God, this is unbelievable. And they started showing, like, little highlights and stuff, and I was like, oh, my God, this is. So you, did, you didn't tell anybody that I told you number seven, did you? No, no, I didn't. I didn't, I didn't want to, like, put it out there, and then it didn't happen. It's very no, funny I because I, I, I debated. You. I knew you knew something. I debated for a from good two hours before I told you because I said, if I'm wrong, he's never going to trust me again. But, you know, and I told Chris, I said, Chris, you better not be wrong here. I, he uh, said, I'm not me. wrong. He said, he said, Bobby Greer, and, and that was, of course, one of the, the great stories of all time because, you know, you ended up, much to a lot of people still not understanding it, becoming very close to Bill Parcells, who was your original coach. And the other thing that a lot of people have never really focused on, but I'll focus on it right now because this is your show, you broke the all-time record of all time for a wide receiver that year in your first year on the field. Can you talk to that? That was that – was... Oh, Jimmy, man. I, I mean, just go to the Super Bowl and all that. That was just so exhilarating, man. It was it was unbelievable. Because it, it, remember, I got hurt at the beginning. Sure. And yeah. Bill was talking about that shit stuff, which I knew, didn't know where that came from. I still, I'm still reeling in that to this day. I don't think I ever forget about that. Like, <laughs> where did that come from? And then, um, but, you know, I love Bill Parcells, and it showed when he brought me back to Dallas that he yes. appreciated my talents and. I don't even know what she meant. I don't even know what that meant. But um, 
you know, I got hurt at the beginning of training camp, missed all of training camp, basically all of preseason football, came back that second game of the year and played the rest of them. And like you said, I was able to break the all-time rookie record with 90 receptions, and it was like a blur to me. And I just remember just going through it and showing them what I had and giving what I got. I mean, when you think about all-time NFL record for a rookie, it's amazing. And the fact that you missed a game or two, I think it was one game, and, and that all the publicity around the Parcells-Glenn fights and the fights that Bill and I would have, and Bill would call me and he would say, what are we going to do about her? And I said, who? He said, what are we going to do about our kid? I said, my kids are fine. What, what's your problem here? And, you know, I would just laugh at him and pull his string. He told me, I'll never forget it, he had never seen anybody with the kind of talent that you had. And so what he was trying to do, now he didn't admit this part, of course, nor would he ever, he just wanted to get the max out of you that he could possibly get. And his style was, I'm going to go ahead and be as tough as I know how to be because if I baby him, he won't give me what I need. But he believed in you like I've never seen. I mean, Bobby did, he did, you know, and I did. And and we knew what you were capable of. And it was really something to, to, to watch and to be a part of. And I remember the ride when I got out of the car, you dropped me at the airport after we signed your first, it was really the first guaranteed contract, basically. Hey, I mean, we, Jimmy, I tell everybody that <laughs> I got my little stories. So <laughs> I definitely, I remember you told me that, and I tell people that too. Just like when I say I caught Brady's first touchdown pass. That exactly. just lets you know I'm getting old because when I started <laughs> representing other people and being proud of something like that, usually I just keep that to myself, like, oh, whatever, whatever. But no. I'm proud to say I caught Tom Brady's first touchdown pass, although I threw it in the stands. I'm proud to say that, and I'm proud to say that we had the first guaranteed contract. Now they all guaranteed. Now they all going to the guaranteed contract. Right, right. It used to be and signing I, bonus. And a lot of people criticized me for taking a smaller signing bonus, but I said the contract's guaranteed. What's wrong with you guys? And, and then I remember there was a million-dollar check in, my, in your hand, and I was getting out of the car at the airport in New England, and – I said, what do you want to do with that check? And you started to hand it to me. Then you took it back. Then you started to hand it to me. Then you took it back. And I said, well, why don't you just take care of it? He said, well, no, why don't you take care of it? I said, no, why don't you take care of it? And we were fighting. And I'll never forget that as long as I live because it was two guys who had gone through similar events in their life who had, you know, trust issues. And we were both, you know, I wanted to do by you the right stuff, and you wanted me to do the right stuff, and you didn't, neither of us, I mean, it was really a, 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 a pivotal moment in the relationship. But, you know, because you did something, I mean, it's kind of like the next contract. You know, the next one was somewhere in the 50-some-odd million-dollar range, mm-hmm. and I'll never forget that one. And I, mm-hmm. But I think a lot of it, it, you were never driven by the money. And even to this day, if you ask people, they would, of course, not understand that comment because they think all players, all football players, are all about the money. Well, what they don't understand is – most of them can't walk when they're done playing. Right. Most of them have take medication every day just for the pain. I mean, I climb mountains, and I can tell you there's not a day that I can't tell you when it's going to rain because of my knees. Mm-hmm. I can tell you, you know, so you got to get the money because how long are you going to be able to play? How long did you play, actually? Twelve. But you know what? My little favorite little story is that, like, sometimes, you know, I try to sneak up on the kids. 
Oh, no. They hear me coming from down the hallway. I got toes popping, knees cracking. I'm talking about, it's like, I'm like, I wake up, like, trying to sneak up on them. Like, Daddy, I hear you. I can hear your knees and feet cracking. So that's a little funny story I got with them. No, you can't. I, 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 I'm not quite on your level, but I can tell you, you know, I, I understand that. Let me, let me ask you, what was the most fascinating part of playing professional football and what was the most challenging part? The most fascinating part was that you could touch people's lives. And I didn't realize that when I was first early in there. I was more of a selfish, like I was worried about just the pressure of being there and playing football and catching and trying to help my team win and things like that. But I didn't realize until later, like how many kids' lives you can touch and how they admire you, how they may not ever get a chance to do these things, and they, and they dream about this stuff. See, the problem that I had was was that I didn't dream about it. I was living for the moment each day, where I'm going to eat, where I'm sleeping, where I'm doing this, who love me, who's going to do this. But these kids nowadays, they kind of have that, but they also look at other things. They see all these. It's so much publicized right now than it was when I was younger. So now we all, well, not we, but the current players, they all over the TV. They all in the stores. I mean, they can't go nowhere without seeing this stuff. So I think the most fascinating part is once I I still was able to see that you could touch people's lives with this situation. And my kids, like, oh, my God, I just – I wish I could play, like, one more year just so Christian was old enough to see me or Vanessa. I mean, I just wanted them to be able to say, you know, that's my daddy. But Nally was able to because she was, she was in the six, right. seven-year-old range. Right. And – she could kind of see it a little bit. Samantha kind of seen it a little bit. By the way, I have four children, Vanessa, Christian, um, Samantha, and, and Natalie. But Natalie was able to see it. She's my oldest uh, as far as my, my girl's concerned. And she was able to see it. And uh, I think that that's probably my most fascinating thing. Now, what was the other thing you asked me? What was the most was most challenging? Challenging. I would say getting up on Sunday morning knowing all these people depended on you. Mm. And I had to go out there and give it my, my all. And you know me, I didn't like to drop a ball. And I will say this to you, Jimmy, and I, because, you know, over the years I've I watched stuff. I probably dropped the fewest balls as any receiver ever in the history of dropping balls. You know, I didn't drop a ball. I would agree I would with you on that one. A, I may drop one ball or something throughout a season or two, but I can't really recall too many balls where I just dropped right out of my hands. And I'm watching football nowadays. These kids dropping balls, like three or four balls in one game. I know. That's not even – that was unheard of when I was playing. Like, I, So that pressure alone, I remember I used to have nightmares of dropping a ball or missing a game. Even after I left, I would still have nightmares. When you're out there on the field and, and you know, take a take the Dallas Stadium or whatever, New England, I mean, which is right. just, I mean, crazy crowds and stuff. Can you hear? Can you, what, what, what's going through you when you're out there and they're calling plays and you see, I mean, did you ever focus, I mean, give me kind of what was going through your head when you're getting ready to go or take New Orleans in the Super Bowl. I mean, what, what's going on in your brain when that's happening? I'm, Are you, I'm, I'm numb. Mm-hmm. Um, I got this adrenaline that's flowing through my head, um, through my body. I can't really feel anything. I'm, I'm nervous. I'm scared. I don't want to let nobody down. I don't want to 
you know, drop a ball or I don't want to run a wrong route. I don't want Coach Barcells at that time looking at me like I was crazy. Um, and I didn't like, I didn't want to let my team, I think my biggest thing that I had when I was on that football field, I didn't want to let those other 10 guys down. Or you can put the whole football team in that respect. Right. But it was mostly on offense when I was out there. So the other 10 guys. And then you can get even a little more personal where if Drew threw me the ball or Tom threw me the ball, my goal was to go get that ball. If he, if he looked my way, because he can always look somebody else's way. So I figure if he look in my way, he got confidence in me. He wants me to do well. So you're nervous about that. And I think that the adrenaline really takes over in your body. And you don't really feel nothing. You don't feel you know, and you get relaxed. You do get a little bit relaxed, and you can feel it a little bit, but you don't want to feel it too much. Then, let, me, let, let me say this, because a lot of people don't understand that you played with some of the greatest quarterbacks I, of our day. I mean, sure just did. list those quarterbacks. I played with Bledsoe at first. Tom Brady came in. Then when I got to Green Bay, I played with the great Brett Favre. Then I got to Dallas. And I love Quincy Carter. I, I don't care. I'm not going to belittle him, his talents, or anything like that. I love Quincy Carter. I, he threw me the ball, and he tried. And then we had Drew Henson. Um, then I think Bill went and, went and got a uh, – Got Bledsoe. No, he went and got Tester Verde first. And Tester right. Verde had a good ball. I mean, he had a great ball. I mean, he, he used to hit me in my chest. And it was it was, it was was nice. He was a little older. But he had a great ball, and I will always say that. And then Bledsoe came in, and then Romo. Wow. So, so yeah, do you have a favorite quarterback? quarterback? What did you say, Jimmy? Do you have a favorite quarterback? Drew Bledsoe. Hmm. That's my name, and I'm sticking with it, and I'm going to ride that on down. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to ride that on down. Drew Bledsoe. That's so is there a big difference between college football and the NFL? I would say uh, the money, because mm-hmm. when you're out there in college, it's like we all just out here playing. We, we we have dreams of getting to that point once you figure out, okay, if I'm good enough. But we out here just playing, and we going to school. Whereas in the pros, money, got the politics, and money can take over. Because I've seen a lot playing 12 years. I've seen a lot. And I couldn't believe certain things, but you had to turn a blind eye. Because you figure out, hey, this ain't got nothing to do with you. This is politics. And then I even have my own politics So, with the money situation. Um, so I understand how that works. And that's the part that pisses me off. And But it's business. And so I would say that's the biggest difference. Is so, as I, as, you know, for the average person looking at it, they would say Terry Glenn was an incredibly talented, great football player, one of a kind. They would also say that Terry probably was controversial, um, you know, different things like that. Probably that the uh, love-hate relationship with the press and things like that. And probably they would say that, which is what they've called me. They've called me Bin Laden's agent because of that, <laughs> because I took them on, which I, I think they were trying to endear themselves to me because I didn't know I was going on Bob Kraft's radio station. But the uh, when I defended wow. you, but the uh, let me ask you this question. So what do you think is the biggest misconception that people have of you? <sighs> Maybe that I don't care, and I think the problem is that I care too much. Mm-hmm. That's um, a great answer. Great they, answer. They, they probably felt that I didn't care. Like I was, 
I don't know, selfish or if I was, uh, I guess I didn't care. And I would see players look at me certain times, and the players that knew me knew me, but the ones that didn't, they probably thought I didn't care. Like um, I was full of myself, and I was totally opposite, totally the opposite. And I would say that that would be it, and that I'm, I'm mean and self-centered, and I'm not that kind of person, not at all. I'm like the opposite. So I found Johnny myself Park, trying to Johnny, fight that. Johnny Parker, you know, your strength and conditioning coach that one year told me that I think it was Johnny that told me he watched you come out of the locker room before you came out. You stood up on a bench, looked in front of the mirror, and made sure your shirt was tucked in perfectly right like a military guy. And he said he had never seen such intensity and focus of any player he had ever been around. And, of course, he was with Belichick. He was with Parcells as a strength and conditioning guy. He said he had never seen a more intensity about anybody. And he used to say that about you. He said he prepared for it like it was a battle, and he was ready. It was. And I just got goosebumps by you saying that right now because I love me some Johnny Parker. And me and him, we didn't have a great relationship because he was a militant-type guy himself. But for you to say that to me, that he said that, and me knowing him and looking back on those years, I love that man. And he really he helped me a lot. He used to always play like the Bill Parcells game. He'll act like he don't, but that was his way of trying to get around to me. And, yes, I took it like it was like I was going to war. That's how I always felt. And that's probably the reason... Um, where I mentioned to you that pressure that I had because I remember when I would go fly away game, I would <laughs> yeah. I would write notes to you know my wife and kids and tell them how much I love them and if I don't see them again, <laughs> like, Daddy loves you. Make sure you watch the game because I really felt like I was going to war and I didn't know if I was coming back. I I remember the great incident when you drove. To- <laughs> when, oh, yeah. I mean, a lot of people don't realize Bill Parcells and you both didn't like to fly. So right. you would, you know, if Bill was driving to New York from New England, you were going to drive to New England to New York, from New, York <laughs> New England. Um, he got mad. He got mad because I drove and he drove. Let me ask you. We only got a, about another couple minutes left. I want to ask you as you look back on your life uh, and on your journey, what do you feel is really the greatest, greater meaning of life? or purpose in life as you look back on this great journey of yours? Well, I know we all can't have kids, but I would say my children have been my biggest journey. I mean, all this other stuff I did, football and, you know, things like that, I think my greatest accomplishment that I have right now or my greatest attribute or whatever you want to call it are my children. And I live for them. They put a smile on my face. They make me think outside the box. Um, I care, like, way too much. And I would say probably having a child or somebody that you care about, whether it's your wife, whether it's your husband, whether it's your mom, dad, really look at that person and appreciate them and look at them because it's it's not always going to be here. And if you can let them know, and some people just want to know, like, sometimes I look at my kids and I go, maybe I love you. Or, like, when my kids leave in school in the morning, they go, bye, Mommy, bye, Daddy, love you. But sometimes it takes them a while to say my name. 
and I'll be waiting on it too. I'm sitting, I'm sitting there like, <laughs> you gonna say bye to mommy and ain't gonna say bye daddy, your daddy. They're just playing but, you. But they they end up doing it, and it's like they play with me, and well, I love it so much. I love it so much. And I think having somebody you can care about and that loves you unconditionally, you need to tell them. I'll say, hey, I love so you're, you. You're an amazing young man, and I say young because you are young at heart and young in age, and certainly compared to me, who's got many more years on you, it's been a, an unbelievable honor and privilege to represent you and be your friend and love you the way I do, and I, I know how you feel about me. Our, our time's up. I'd like to thank Terry Glenn for sharing his journey with us. Your friendship means the world to me, and I hope the many listeners who follow our show in over 180 countries learn from your journey. I'd like to thank our listeners for tuning into A Current Life on the Voice America Variety Channel and our sponsors, Green Mountain Coffee Roasters, Pure Romance, and Ads Baseball Network. This is your host, Jimmy Gould, signing off, and please join us next Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern for our next episode. Until next time, I wish each and every one of you a journey filled with hope inspiration, success, and to you, my dear friend, Terry, I look forward to seeing you. I love you, and I'm very proud of you, and I, again, thank you enough for coming on the show. Thank you, Jimmy, and we know we just started. You got it. I look forward to seeing you, and we'll talk soon. Be well. Bye-bye. Thanks again for joining us for A Current Life on the Voice America Variety Channel. Please tune in to another great program with your host, Jimmy Gould, next Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time. We'll see you next week. The stove, the refrigerator, all the pots and pans. The sink? Sure, take the kitchen sink, too. Yeah, pretty much everything in the kitchen I could live without if I had to. Except, of course, my Keurig Brewer. Who doesn't love their Keurig Brewer? It can brew the perfect cup of coffee, tea, and hot cocoa with just the touch of a button. All without a fuss and so little mess or cleanup. With over 250 varieties to choose from, it's no wonder your Keurig Brewer is the favorite thing in your kitchen. Visit Keurig.com for more info.